Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Forest. I'm your host, Cameron Lemons Debro. Got the timer going. Gonna keep us underneath an hour. I hope, I pray. Gonna obviously start off with the, Elf- the Efton Reed show. Efton Reed has been freed and got freed in a very big way last night. Gonna go into the little bit of some transfer portal stuff because I know the transfer portal for football is top of mind for a lot of people. And then I'm gonna end it with just a little bit on the NCAA proposal about NIL guidance and all that different stuff that was released on Monday or Tuesday, I think. Someone had asked, you know, just to kind of break things down. I think honestly, that'd be fair because I think it starts to bring about things that I've have kind of alluded to of what the future of college athletics and especially college football will be. Kicking things off with the good news. Efton Reed, Wake Forest beat Rutgers last night, 76 57. Uh, that was kind of an ass whooping. There was a couple of points where you know Rutgers made it closer than it really felt like it should have been, but that was that was kind of an ass whooping. I mean, I don't think that I don't, it's not even a think at this point. Rutgers just isn't good offensively this year. I, I don't believe that they will eventually be good on offense, but it's really hard. It's really easy for you to sit there and see that they miss a couple of those guys that left in the end of, end of the, uh, around like June or so. And they had a couple of guys that left pretty, pretty late into the cycle. And, you know, Mulcahy and, and, Spen- and Spencer are, it's rough for that for that team on on offense right now. It's, you know they they had some they had some points and they had a couple stretches where you know it felt like wow this team actually looks like solid on offense. And then, it but those times that happened, it wasn't like they were getting a bunch of easy easy buckets. I thought Wake did a really good job of not busting and not just having a lot of geez, free lanes to the basket. It was a lot of just hey like they've got an open open shot some step some step back jumpers. There was quite a few times where someone had a hand in someone's face and they just drained a three and it's like, well, tip your cap there. But you know, it it wasn't fluky, but it it I don't know if it was necessarily sustainable. I, I think if you looked at probably a win expectancy graph, Wake was still based on shot quality, Wake was still probably well ahead at that point. Offensively for Wake. <laughs> I mean, they only, they only, I say only score 76 points. Uh, I put this on the boards. Wake score 1.18 points per possession against the number 12 defense in the country. Uh, that defense gives up 0.929 points per possession. I mean, that's a, that's a, like by itself, 1.18 is a insanely good margin, but you do that with, you, you do that with actually, you know, accounting for, the fact that this defense is that good and this Rutgers defense is very, 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 it's, it's one of the best defenses in the country. I mean, that's kind of an, that's, 
it's kind of an elite showing just when you adjust for who you play against. Like that is a very, very, very good performance for you to do. You only turn the ball over, I believe, 10 times in this game. It, you did everything you needed to do to win this game. And I kind of had a thought about this before it, which was, and I bet obviously Wake Forest three and a half. So I thought they'd win with Efton, but I also all bet them at at seven and eight points because I thought this would be an ass whooping if they didn't turn it over. I didn't think this was going to be something that came down to the last bucket unless like Wake Forest made it just because of how bad Rutgers is offensively. And it kind of showed that it was, if Wake doesn't turn the ball over and just, you know, even if the, even the quality possessions don't end in, in buckets, if they just keep on having quality possessions, I don't see how Rutgers is able to keep up with that. And they did it. That happened. Like Rutgers was just not able to keep up with anything fast paced offensively unless they got turnovers from Wake or just got just bad possessions from Wake. And I, I'm curious to see how much that continues because I mean, if you can do that against a really good defense, think about what happens now when you start doing that against, you know, you have, I think, New Jersey Institute of Technology coming up. In the next in the next few days, and Delaware State and Presbyterian. This is where you start kind of getting getting a little little frisky with the schedule because you're, you you've won three in a row. Feel feel feels fun. You know you should win another another three with NJIT, Delaware State, and Presbyterian going into Christmas. Hanukkah as well. We're inclusive of all holidays here. But then you look at Virginia Tech and Boston College, and you're like, and you start going, and that's what I think was the big story of tonight was you know Efton and Andrew Carr. Obviously, Boopy, Boopy did what he does. You know, wasn't the wasn't the best game for Salas, but I think he's he scored what eleven points. Well, no, <laughs> Cam did fine. Cam Cam did what he needed to do. But I I was more I was a lot happier, and I think it was more indicative of future with what Efton and Andrew Carr did. And I'll start with Andrew Carr because I want to save Efton for last and so he can have his one shining moment. Andrew Carr sat there and while the points didn't necessarily come to him, he only had, I say only, only had 10 points but on 4-7 shooting. He had 10-6-2 with a steal and two blocks. That's, that's one hell of a stat line right there. The big thing for him is now with Efton Reed being, you know, who he is. And I think Efton for the next few games is probably going to play around 20, 26 to 32 minutes. That's, that seems that's, you don't want him to play 35, 38 minutes like you are with Cam and Hunter and everybody else. And I don't think you necessarily want to do that with Cam and Hunter the next couple of games. You know, I think this is a probably a good time for you to let them catch their breaths, you know, heal up some ankles, some shoulders, and let's, let's let let that happen and see what you really have in a Parker, see what you really have in an Aaron Clark, get Bramo in there. But I mean, with the thing you have with Andrew Carr now is Andrew Carr was bullying a six foot eight, 220 pound man. But that's what you're now getting out of Andrew Carr is instead of him being like a fine to decent ACC five, you now have a really, really good ACC four. That's like that now makes your your team just that much better because now Carr, I don't even say necessarily it's mismatched, but 
he's now kind of a mismatch both offensively and defensively, but you know, Carr is listed at what, probably what's 6'10", 220. I think he's probably 6'10", 235. I, that's why I put him at about 235 right now. Him being there, that's a problem to deal with at four, especially with he's decently athletic for that size. He's got some long-ass arms. And we saw it with the blocks. Like he Defensively, he's going to be an issue. And offensively, when I saw him, and I think it was against Wolfel, he just kind of was just backing him down and just doing what he wanted to do there. Like he, it was, it was just whatever he wanted to do. The only reason you just didn't have more shots is because Efton was sitting here taking threes and, you know, the guards are going to get theirs and stuff. But I mean, Carr is going to be in a position now that he starts bullying some ACC fours. And I look at it, the matchups and the first two matchups in the ACC with Virginia tech and with Boston college. And you have, you know, Robbie Brand and uh, Makai Long at VT. That's the same sort of story of, I don't know how those two guard Andrew Carr. And I'm not saying this is when, you know, Carr is going to break off 25 every single game. But you start looking at it and you're like, all right, like, okay, now everyone gets into place. And I think that's one of the biggest things about it. And I'll transition this over to Efton is he allows everyone else to play their roles better. And that's a, that's a really, really, really fun thing for me to do. And just for you to watch, because it's just like, because like, look, I can, I can sit here now and, you know, Andrew Carr now gets to his natural position. I don't have to put as much of a strain on Zach Keller instead of Zach Keller absorbing, you know, 25 to 30 minutes a game. Keller can play 12 to 15 a game and, you know, he can knock down a three or two. He can, he started to play some really good defense and I'm really encouraged by that. He's grabbing rebounds well. I, it's really encouraging what you saw out of Zach Keller and even with Matthew Marsh. Like, I think Marsh in the right spots, you know, for 10 to 12 minutes, depending on the matchup, can be a really, really helpful thing, especially, you know, if Afton gets in foul trouble or, you know, needs to need to break. Everyone on at the five starts slotting down and, you know, being in their more natural position. You don't have to play Marcus Marion as a super, super small ball five. You can play him as like kind of the four behind behind Carr or even with same thing with Keller. If, you know, if, if you think Keller is having a practicing really well, you can give Carr a little bit of a break, have Keller be there, you know, and, ha- and be that four. And I think it just sliding everyone down a peg or around, I should say sliding them around makes that a lot better. And I think I saw it with the guards as well. The seals that Afton was, proposed <laughs> were just insane it was like just a free lane for the bat to the basket. And you no, know, I thought Marsh has done a decent job of those, but the way Efton was doing it was insane. Defensively, I mean, first there was just fewer busts. Again, Rutgers offense isn't that good. We know that. They were like coming into the game, they were outside the top 220 in three-point percentage, two-point percentage, and free throw percentage. They just were not good in any of any format from offense. But, you know, the, we've seen some bad offenses come in Winston-Salem or, go, or Wake plays there. And, you know, all of a sudden someone has the has a legacy game. And I really thought Hyatt was going to have that legacy game. I, I thought I thought it was coming. But 
there weren't there weren't bus there wasn't just you know just free lanes to the basket there weren't just people just not knowing where their assignment should be i thought it was really funny that they weren't really respecting ruckers from three at all because they were going under every screen they were I, for the first like half and even then some they just kind of went under every single screen I mean, I think they still did for the most part outside of Hyatt, but it's a, it, it, everyone felt, it felt like everyone knew where they needed to be. And there wasn't any sort of just flailing around trying to figure out where I should be. And, and that's something that I know I've harped on and I know others have harped on is that's what Efton, that's the, probably the biggest thing Efton Reed brings to the table defensively for this team is He's a like he's the communicator out there. He is the guy that is that takes that leadership. There was a reason he was voted captain because of the leadership he takes in terms of getting everybody where they need to be and calling things out. He's Forbes tried to put it into words in football terms. He's the green dot. If if you're a football guy, he he's a green dot. He he is your guy that is sitting there going, okay, I I know what's happening. I can I, I the, the the coaches know what's going on here and they tell me what's happening. I can bark it out and say, hey, we need to go here, 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 and here. That's what Efton Reed is to that defense. And it looked, I mean, again, Rutgers adjusting for Rutgers wasn't great, but Rutgers did not shoot. Was uh, Their points for possession were awful. So, you know, that's what he brings there. Uh, then you look at Cliff. Cliff Omoyuri is one of the better centers, like, in the country. Like, he's, he's not, you know, Hunter Dickinson. He's not. You know, the guy, guy at, he's not Zach Eady, he's not the guy at Gonzaga. But like Cliff is like a very good, yeah, he's a very good center in general, not just in the Big Ten, but in the country. It was, it was just, it was jarring. Like, I don't want really to say fascinating, but it was jarring sitting here and watching him try to just post up and just back down Efton. And Efton went nowhere. Efton just straight up went nowhere. I've watched, I, like the practice I watched, and I've heard some people that have watched some other practices. We all were like, I have, I did not realize he was this physical. Efton is a brick wall that just took, that just takes up so much space. Cliff had what, four, four and one with three blocks and the blocks weren't, weren't on him. So yeah, like the fact that you held a dude that's averaging basically a double, double to four and four in this game. I think Cliff had two and one at halftime. It it was that was what I that was what I wanted to see out of Epton was you know I wanted to see how good of a defender because I didn't really measure that by blocking shots you know he altered some shots definitely but the fact that they couldn't just get it to a big man inside and just say hey let's let's figure this out it, Cliff it was Cliff was struggling he was he was in the torture chamber like Epton had that boy in hell and I think that's the biggest thing that I, I biggest positive I saw was just how much of a difference it was just I couldn't automatically just be like okay cool the center is just going to cook us for 10 and 10 and 12 today you know it's really frustrating that they couldn't go back and play you know I, I don't know if it plays that much of a difference in the Utah game because at, at Utah I feel like they killed them more outside than inside but UGA and LSU oh god just having Efton in those games would have been nice but you also can't dwell on you know what if this what if that got to win the games in front of you. And I think with Efton, you know, you have a much, much, much better chance of winning the games in front of you. I think you can, 
you can mess around and win the next five games in a row and and be in a solid spot. You know, you need to obviously win big for some net because the net's awful and great. We all love it, but the passes that they were throwing to Afton, it kind of it made me chuckle because there were passes they just weren't throwing to Keller or Marsh, but they were just they there was a level of trust you could tell this team had with Afton, which is you know normal. Like, hey, this dude's supposed to be your starter. And you've practiced with with this guy as your starter for a long while, you know. It, you could tell there was just a different level of trust in what Efton could do, and you know the threes got a little out of hand. You know, I think he can he can settle a few of those down. I don't know if I necessarily want him taking three to four of them a game, but I mean they were good looks. They they were solid looks, and so can't blame that. But I mean, have twelve and fourteen in your first. In your first game back, King, I believe that was his second ever double-double. That's what they put on the screen, I'm pretty sure. I need to fact-check that, but I think there will be a lot more coming for Efton. Switching things over to the transfer portal. It's been fun. I, I warned this on the last episode of, you know, the the, the two things I said were going to happen happened. Uh, there's going to be some people that into the transfer portal slash go to the draft that, and it's all going to come. Most of it's going to come at once and it's going to feel like awful. It's going to feel terrible because the first little wave of everything is just people leaving. Like you don't see people coming into the portal. You only coming into your team. You only see people leaving your team, whether that's for the draft, whether that's for a portal. And that sucks. That happened. Wake Forest had, you know, you Mitch Griffiths at the portal. Santino hit the portal. You had guys like Kaylin Carson, Malik Mustafa, decide to decide to, to take their next step and go to the NFL draft. I was not surprised by Kalen in the slightest. Don't get your money, big dog. Malik, I was pretty surprised about it considering what I had heard from, from, from sources, but I also can't, you know, from talking to other sources, I mean, it was one of those, it's, it was a really emotional decision for him. He was still, you know, very emotional about it the next two days just, you know, making sure he just made the right decision and everything. And he was just, it was tough on him, but hey, go, go follow your dream. I can't really knock someone for going to follow your dream. I think a uh, friend of the program, Keegan Renault, usually the guy that covers the big 12, more so Oklahoma and Texas than anything else, but it also has like NFL scouting service. And he's one of the, one of the biggest proponents that I have of, Hey, like guys aren't, Guys who come back to school necessarily can't boost their draft stock. There's like a very, very, very small group of people that can actually improve their draft stock from coming back another year. And they're usually on the younger side. If you've been in school for five years, coming back to school for one more year really doesn't help you all that much unless you're someone that's now getting put in like a, a featured role. Like that's the one part of it. It's like if you, if that's the part for the older guys, it's if you're now, you know, hey, you know, we've seen a little bit of tape with you over the years. Maybe there were some injury issue, injury issues. I think Donovan Green's a pretty good example of it. If you now have a year where you're fully healthy, you're the guy. And I think, you know, we've been told Donovan, we should be expecting Donovan Green back. You know, if he has a full year where he balls out, I think that's a major boost to his draft stock, where if he was into the draft this year, I don't think he has much of a stock because he just doesn't have that much film and he has not played a single season without getting hurt. 
So, you know, if you can make it a year, that's one that makes sense. But if you're someone that's been a multi-year starter, gotten multiple all-conference selections, stuff like that, coming back for a year doesn't really help you. It's just a matter of, you know, have you gotten your degree? The NIL stuff is is there, but if you're a fourth round guy, most most collectives aren't are willing to shell out fourth round money for people. Like that's that's a lot of money. That's a that's a lot of money. So yeah, you saw guys like Justin Ellison hit the portal, which was a little ex- unexpected. You know, I th- he might have been getting some bad advice there, just because now there's a ton of running backs in this market. Running backs already aren't getting a huge bag in general. They're probably in rel- in relation to the other skill positions, probably the, the least not valued but spent upon. But you know, I I wish the best for him. You know, I've seen him pick up offers from places like Boston College, Indiana, Minnesota. So I I think he still ends up in the Power Five. You know, best I I love Justice. Great, good runner. We're even better person. Wish the best to him. Wesley Grimes was a little bit of a shock to me. Definitely a little bit of a shock. Um, you know, there's, it is what it is. And I, he will be at NC State next year, more than likely, from what I can gather. You know, best of luck to him. Now, I have nothing, I have nothing poor to say about Wesley Grimes, and I never will. You know, I, I also don't really have anything negative to say about anyone that transfers. You know, sometimes the situation just isn't tenable for you. And, you know, if it's not, great. That's, you know, I don't want anyone to ever be in a situation they don't necessarily want to be in because that's not that's not something we afford in any other profession. And whether we'll get to this in the NCAA, whether people like it or not, I'm like, this is kind of a profession at this point. And I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, you are going to a different place that's benefiting you, whether it's monetarily or just you think it's a better fit. I did it with my job. I can't necessarily blame someone for doing it for their job. So Keyshawn Williams, I wasn't necessarily surprised about it was, it was an either or with, it was an either or with him or Taylor Marin kind of a standoff, see who was going to do it first. And it ended up being Keyshawn really hoping goes to Utah. Love Utah. Great. One of my favorite schools to cover. Well, just the watch outside of wake. Um, I think he'd do well there, especially without Mikey Matthews there, but then best luck to him. So you see all these hits and you think they're definitely had the, Oh no, is Wake going to be able to field a team sort of thing? And then you started hearing the returnees coming back of Kevin Pointer announced he's coming back. Sheen Davis coming back is a major boon. I had some, a couple of draft people poking me saying, Hey, is he coming back? What's going on here? We're really intrigued with what's going to, he's going to show. I I wasn't surprised he's back, but it was more of a, okay, let's see what we can do here. So those two, those two coming back were for massive boosts. You've got, Luke Petamone coming back, you know, George Sell, you have Devontae Gordon at left ta- at a tackle. I don't want to say left tackle just yet, but you have Devontae Gordon coming back at a tackle spot, Tamon Claiborne, which, you know, I the there is the whole thing of, you know, he wasn't a guarantee he's coming back. He he was unless Wake just sat there and just said, you know, we're gonna give you nothing, he was gonna come back. And a lot of the stuff that was people were like, oh, well, these cryptic things, he got hurt. And I don't think people, and I think he, I think he'll be fine for spring camp. I, I'm checking in. People are always weird about injuries. I think we've gotten so normalized to like players getting injured 
that's just, we think it's just, okay, just recover and you'll be back. A lot of these guys have not like minus, you know, everyone gets, you know, nicked up and banged up and bruised, whatever. But for you to miss games because you aren't healthy to do so, a lot of these guys, especially in, in, he this is a second year guy like i think we all we kind of forget like this is this was his second year of college so it's not like he sat here and did this all year but that sat here and did this in the past getting injured and missing games is something these guys aren't like these guys aren't used to it's a massive mental toll on people to like have injuries that knock them out for even a couple of games much less a season and it's not just that wake, it's 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 around the country. I mean, and even in the pros, like a lot of times you'll see athletes be like, Yeah, no, I got injured for a year and I was in a deep, dark place because I this has never happened to me before. Like your livelihood's done for, you know, an undisclosed amount of time and you can't you can't do anything about it. No matter how hard you work, you can't do anything about it. And so it's a hard thing for people to to wrap their head around when it happens to them. And so it definitely puts them in the dark place and they have to figure out, okay, what do I how do I approach this? And, you know, that was definitely something that happened to Donovan for a bit was you know, when he got injured, but that was a big thing for him coming out of 2021. It was, it happened a bit in 2020 because he was banged up and he was like, I don't really know what's going on here. But, at, but 2021, when he got banged up, it was a, this dude had never really missed an entire year of football. And, you know, he had to sit here and figure out, okay, well, I need to, how do I handle this? And, you know, 2022, we started putting some really good film on tape and it was like, all right, Donnie, let's go. And then, you know, picked up some more injuries. So that's something I'm monitoring as we get into 2024 of, hey, like, how are you going to handle this? But yeah, it's always a weird thing with those kids, with, with, like those kids, but just athletes in general getting injured. It's a different place. We've seen some offers go out in terms of linebackers, offensive line, quarterback, and at corner. And, you know, I I thought they would possibly add a defensive line. I don't think they're going to do that anymore. I think they definitely have had some, some people on warm just in case, you know, Jasheen didn't decide to leave or Kevin Pointer. But with those two guys coming back, I don't think that they end up going the route of a defensive lineman, which, you know, could be good, could be bad. We'll see. You know, we're putting a lot of pressure on some young guys there, but eventually you got to hit on the recruits. And I think Dave Cohen usually does. So we'll go from there. They have an official visit this weekend, a couple official visits this weekend, one with Keegan Trost out of Indiana State, one with who's an offensive lineman. He can play left or right tackle. I think he's more of a right tackle. And Branson Combs, who is more of a weak side linebacker kind of your Chase Jones, Quincy Bryant sort of guy that's more in coverage than anything else. You know, I think they have a really good shot with both of those guys, especially you know, Trost sat here and moved a official visit with another Power 5 school to come to Winston-Salem. So I think that's solid. I, yeah, I don't I don't necessarily know if they if there's a tier list with their with their offensive lineman between him, Luke Newman out of Holy Cross, and Jacob Rizzi out of Harvard. I know, you know fans have their own preferences. I don't really have a preference out of any of them because I think all three of them are kind of the same sort of guy of they can play a tackle spot or they can shift in the guard. I know Vanderbilt's looking at Rizzi as a guard. You know, a, few, a lot of people are looking at Luke Newman from Holy Cross as kind of a guard. I think you're really set as a guard, but they like him the way he likes him to tackle. And same sort of thing with 
with Tros. Tros is like, yeah, a lot of people are going to be a tackle, some in the regard. I think the positional versatility is really, really intriguing to a lot of people this year. But I don't think there's any bona fide stud. This is a absolute hoss at left tackle. It's guys that played left tackle at the FCS level and were really, really good at it. But as they jump up, you know, the, to a level, you start thinking, and it, it happened with the guy that Alabama recruited a couple of years ago, who is now in the Eagles, David Vanderbilt. He, they were like, hey, you know, you're a, we're going to stick you at left tackle, even though we know you're not necessary. Your NFL level isn't probably going to be a your your NFL level is probably going to be at right guard. And, you know, you look at Tyler Steen and Steen played left tackle at Bama. And now for the Eagles, he's he's an interior player. And, you know, it's that's just sometimes you got to make do what you got to make do with. And that's just the perils of the portal in general. Like if there was a bona fide stud tackle out there, Alabama would be kicking their doors down right now. Georgia would be kicking their doors down because a tackle is the hardest thing to find in football. You can find a tackle before you can find a quarterback. So I think, I mean, I think they end up getting one of them. If I had to rank the order, I would say Trost, Rizzi, Newman, just because I don't think Newman has his decision done until way later than most schools want to. You know, Rizzi, I would put a little bit higher because I don't necessarily know how Vandy's going to necessarily recruit without an offensive line, offensive, offensive coordinator in general. I don't really, they don't really know what scheme they're running right now. So I don't know how you sell that to an offensive player, but I know Vandy has, you know, about has some millions in the coffers as well. So, you know, maybe it's just, we'll just throw money at you and hope for the best. I don't know, but he's taken an official visit to Rizzy. Uh, Rizzy's taken a official visit to Vanderbilt this weekend. I, you know, does Trost commit before Rizzy? Cause Rizzy is very interested in, in taking a official visit to, to wake. So, I'm curious of seeing like, hey, like, do, does that spot in a book? Because they're only taking one. And I mentioned this in an article that I wrote yesterday. And I'm going to do these probably once a week, both podcasts and also these types of articles of just a recap of the last week. It's really hard to get multiple starting offensive linemen in the portal. One, because there's only so many of them in the portal. But two, like, it's really rare that you have a bunch of like spots open and guys aren't going to come in to be the, the BPAs guys come in because they're like, we I'm, I'm starting it. It's, it's not, a, it, it's not even a conversation. Like okay? you could, you can have a little bit of pushback. It's places like corner or a linebacker or wide receiver. You can have, you can have some pushback there, not doing it out line. They know how valuable they are. And even if they're coming, like, even if they're coming up and haven't really been recruited yet, they understand how valuable they are right now and how coveted they are. All these guys have 20 plus offers. Um, you know, Newman has, has an insane amount. Rizzi, I think has like probably, you know, 15 or so because he hasn't reported a lot of it. I know that Trost has over 20. These guys have starting spots no matter where they go. And, you know, it's supposed to be, yeah, you're supposed to be a salesperson as a coach and be able to you know, figure it out. These guys just aren't going there. It's just, they're going to they're going to go where they basically have a guaranteed starting spot at. So it, it, it's a, it's it's just I can't even say it's a hard sell. They just aren't going to go where they want to be, where they're going to be a BPA or first man off the bench. It's just not how that works for that position. 
So I've kind of skirted all of this around the quarterback, which I know is the place that people have the most anxiety about. I have the most anxiety about not in terms of, you know, will they get somebody, but in terms of who that person is, they offered Max Brosmer, who was out of New Hampshire and was kind of regarded as the best FCS guy by some coaches. I liked him better than every FCS guy, including Matthew Sluka, who did reports today of Bob Chesney going to, going to join James Madison. I would, if I had a crystal ball, I would put a, a high confidence crystal ball on Matthew Sluka going to James Madison, especially with Jordan McLeod being in the portal. You know, and you, they lost on Brosmer and, you know, it's a, it's one of those things of, yeah, I mean, I think they were a little bit late to the party there, but I also was one of those things of, I don't think Brosmer believes he's an NFL guy. I don't, I don't think he believes that's his next step unless he just absolutely kills it this year. And he wants to be in the biomed space. Twin Cities is one of the, is the hub for biomedical technology in the country. Minnesota has one of the best, like, kinesi- um, kinesiology programs in the country, which is what he wants to go into grad school for. That was one where he knows what the academics is and specifically where they are supposed to be at. And yes, Wake is a better academic school than Minnesota, but that specific grad school and stuff, that's where he wants to go and probably should have gone. So can't blame him for that. They ended up offering Curtis Rourke. Oh my goodness, Curtis Rourke. I am, so I, both taking a step back, there were three guys into the portal within like a couple hours of each other. Toledo's Daquan Finn, Ohio's Curtis, Curtis Rourke, and North Texas's Chandler Rogers. Those three are the best three G5 quarterbacks this year. They were the, they've, they've been the best three. They've been the best. Like, there is not even a, they, there's not even a question there. It's just a, this is, this is who the best three guys are. You can put them in any, in any order. You kind of want to, for me, I, I don't really have an order. I think it would be more, I, if I did, it'd be the Quan Finn number one, just because I'm a sucker for hyper athletic quarterbacks. Roar Creepy 2 and then Chandler Ruby 3, but it's all really close there. Like, I think they're all basically the same level. I I like Curtis Work a lot. You know, he had an injury last year. He had an injury at the end of 2022. Uh, got a Tory's ACL. It's brutal injury. Came back a little quicker than I think some people thought he would be from that. And took a shot in the first game of 2023 against San Diego State. And wasn't really the same there until the last few games of the season. The last few games of the season, he kind of balled. And it's one of those things that for him, like balling for him is either you know putting up a ton of stats or just making the right play. Like there are a lot of times he just makes the, the right play, the right throw. And they leaned on a, Ohio leaned on a very good ground game. Uh, Bangor was a hoss at running back. Ohio was a wagon that last year. If you didn't watch them or bet on them, Ohio was a wagon. And so, yeah, so a lot of Lewis stats got taken away because, you know, he was still dealing with an injury. You know, they leaned heavily on a running game because they had a really good running back. Their best receiver last year was out of, I think was out of eligibility. Their best receiver this year towards, uh, towards ACL. Ah, (laughs) one of those things of, you know, we have this good running game, you know, let's not get our quarterback killed again. 
Our offensive line isn't necessarily the best at pass blocking this year. They try to replace their best guy, and the, the guy who replaced them was fine, but definitely a step down of you know, it was an NFL quality kind of guy that they had right there. So, you know, I I like Curtis work. I think he would be an insane fit, six five, two twenty. For all you heightists out there, you know, have fun with that. I'm I'm I'd love a six five quarterback that's mobile, work and run. He's not going to blow you away with the athleticism, but he can run. I'm about it. I the discussions there have gone well. Tentatively supposed to talk to him on Sunday. Me, not the staff. We'll see what happens there. You know, BYU offered, Vandy offered. The Vandy offer is a little scary to me because I know that they're desperate. I, I know, I know that they're they're desperate. Um, they're taking two quarterbacks this this time too, from what I've heard. They're well. They they know they need to reshape that entire room. Not that they're not high on the freshman, their freshman quarterback coming in, but it's just a. They're trying to. Clark Lee knows he has one year. Clark Lee knows that this is a do or die year for him, or else he's getting fired. Not so much a do questions about his legacy happening. Like no, he's getting fired. So, you know, I think they're throwing some bag. They're going to try to throw some bags around and say, "Hey, look, we're we're going to turn this thing around." next year we're going to do whatever we can to do it you know i thought mj morris was going to be the guy there and then you know lsu and baylor kind of picked up some some interest in him and i think that kind of not and i don't think i would think like i that was like the, the pretty hot rumor was morris was going to be the starting quarterback at vanderbilt next year but you know with lsu kind of calling and Baylor reaching out, you start rethinking things. Things are slow, and you're in the portal era for coaches as well. You can't just sit and be like, hey, you know, I thought we had this thing locked up. You got to keep doing what you do. And so they're in there, and, you know, I think right now Wake would be the favorite. You know, obviously, you're not going to have, you know, Bama or anyone else come in for Curtis work, but I don't think that necessarily matters. I know they've talked to Daquan Finn. I know they've talked to Jordan McLeod. I know they've talked to... Uh, Jordan McLeod from uh, from James Madison. If, not, if you don't know that, uh, let's see, Hodge Malik Williams from Campbell, Taquan Finn from Toledo. Those are kind of the three guys that I've looked at and say, hey, you know, that's where I think the heads turn if things don't happen. Taquan Finn might be off the board this weekend, though, because I know he's visiting. He, I'm pretty sure he's visiting Wisconsin. So I think the dom- I think after this next weekend or so the dominoes are going to start falling a little faster around the country. And it's going to be like, you know, I think Dylan Gabriel comes off the board and possibly goes to, to Oregon, you know, does a guy like Aiden Childs come off the board to Michigan state, Dante Moore to, to Michigan does, you know, there, we start seeing these dominoes of, you know, of things starting to have, are starting to fall. And, you know, that's why I think it's probably imperative that this doesn't, last and this this needs to be over in my opinion before the dead period i think this has this quarterback hang has to be over before the dead period dead period kicks in on the 18th i wouldn't say things are are visible or, or just you know the sky is falling if something doesn't happen but i do think in terms of you know making sure you get small banks back and making sure that you're not sitting here scrambling and you know you end up with no offense to these guys like a hank bachmeyer or logan fife or noah kim I, you need to whether it's whether it's Curtis Rourke or whether it's McLeod or I really like McLeod or it's Hodge Malik or it's DeQuan Finn. 
I think you need to have your guy in before dead period. Get it done. Figure out whatever the NIL stuff is, whether it's international, because reminder, Rourke is international, by the way. He's Canadian. So that has its own set of logistics to be done for NIL stuff. But if you get it from America, someone that's based in America, whether it's like McLeod or Hodge, you know, things that's usually a pretty good, easy deal. NIL internationally is a whole different story, you know, whether it's England, whether it's Sweden, whether it's Canada, Bahama, you got, it's a different thing and, and it's a whole little bit of a process. So I don't necessarily blame someone if it takes a couple of days or so for things to kind of get rolling in terms of money, because that's a whole process. Someone else that is not me, I, ugh, it's a whole process someone else has got to figure out. So I, I, I think it's imperative. And I think the staff understands that. And I think that's why they were very, I mean, they were the first to offer Rourke. And I, I don't think that was by accident. I think they want to get this done, you know, as soon as they possibly can. So other than that, you know, I think they end up with a corner. You know, I, I, I think, I think they have a corner, a linebacker, a quarterback, and an offensive lineman. I don't think we're done with defections, both of, you know, possible starters and also just death guys. You know, things are fluid. I just saw, we saw a guy from Florida that we, everyone thought was going to the draft yesterday, decide that he was going to just enter the portal. And he's like a, should be like a solid NFL guy. I don't think that we're necessarily done with defections. I think from the guys who have announced we're, we're done, but you know, with the younger, with the guys who are kind of buried on death charts, they're usually trying to get through their school and everything. And, you know, just they'll figure it out. And once they get done with their finals and everything, they'll never be in the portal. They'll, they'll get through it. And especially if they think they need to drop down a level, there's not really a rush for them. They'll be fine. For, you know, your starters, you know, tampering's always rampant, man. Tampering, tampering's always rampant. And it's not meant to scare anybody by saying it. It's more of just, I never feel safe until August. So just, I just never feel safe. And I don't let it be existential dread. I just go, you never want to get caught off guard. And so I, I think some of the, the contracts definitely help because people are like, okay, cool. I have a signed contract. This is fine. But I don't necessarily believe that it'll be a, uh, I don't think we're necessarily done. I think there might be one or two more that we're still waiting on in terms of like, Hey, this guy would have probably played 50 or 60 snaps a game. And then, you know, probably some more, you know, deaf guys in. But if that happens, then that means a couple more people coming in. So. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. The NCAA's proposal. Joy, oh joy. So, a couple of days ago, the NCAA's Charlie Baker kind of, you know, 
through the media, whether it's Nicole Auerbach or Ross Ellinger, came up with this proposal that he had spoken with with and gotten support from Greg Sankey and Jim Phillips and Big Ten's commissioner, whose name I cannot remember from the top of my head. I think you are, Mark, as well. And just kind of bringing things down to kind of a as high level as possible, because I'm not going to lawyer talk this, is essentially revisioning how you see NIL. So you already have, you know, kind of your FCS and FBS. You have your, your subdivisions there. What would be on the table would be another sort of breakaway. Would be it would be starting with the NCAA, but it'd be another sort of division that you could opt into. You have a subdivision where schools, while underneath the umbrella of the NCAA, would be able to still make their own rules for recruiting, transfers, like so the recruiting calendar, transfers, when, how, where, how often, roster size, how many scholarships am I allotting? Things like that. They, they would be able to make their own rules, but still be underneath the NCAA umbrella. And I'm gonna a little bit later, I'm gonna get to to why that's important. If you chose to do so, you'd have to be you'd have to put in a certain amount in trust funds for athletes. I believe it's thirty. It's at least it's a base of thirty thousand dollars for at least half of your athletes. I believe that's the number. Uh, schools will determine when the athletes will receive this amount, which for four year athletes would total at least one hundred twenty thousand dollars. Schools must continue to buy by the framework of Title IX, ensuring that fifty percent of the investment be directed towards women athletes. So, you know, they still have to abide by Title IX, but essentially, you know, about half, half your athletes need to have this trust fund that you, at least of at least 30K. So this is essentially, I think the math, someone worked out the math, it ended up being, you know, like about six to $7 million in total that you just, it's your country club fee. It's a, hey, I'm putting this in, I'm doing this. This is us playing by these rules. If it's adopt, if you adopt, if it's adopted and, you know, you decide to opt in, schools could have NIL deals with athletes. Still has to be under Title IX, but they could directly pay the athletes for NIL deals. So for Wake Forest, you know, Afton Reed could sit here and go across. They could put them in nationwide, chat them out to wherever and say, hey, come buy season tickets to Wake Forest basketball. Really appreciate it. Boom. It's not Roll the Quad that's paying him. It's, you know, whoever the CFO is or who's ever the handling the money for Wake Forest, cutting him that check, going straight to him. Do the same thing for women's tennis, Brooks, Brooke Killingsworth, or yeah, or Cassie Wooden. Hey, you know, we have some big matches coming up this year. Come support us. Boom, cut her a check. Done. But instead of it coming from Roll the Quad, it's coming from the school. Caitlin Clark's going out and say, hey, everybody, you know, Iowa basketball coming out. We need some tickets. We really want some support. Boom, NIL, come come do that. Instead of it being from whatever, I think it's called Swarm, comes from Iowa. So that's kind of how this is. This is a Super League. <laughs> this this is the Super League in, in, in a nutshell of, you know, the riches of the rich are obviously, obviously a Georgia, Bama, Florida State, a Ohio State is going to say, yeah, oh, cool, we're fine. We're fine with that. Let's do this. We're fine. But it's kind of underneath the guise of, and not even really the guise, but it, something that I've been hammering on is I don't think this is going to be something where people get kicked out of. This is a, you're either in or you're out. And I think if you opt in, you end up being in this new division. 
with, you know, I don't think you necessarily are in the SEC anymore, maybe an SEC plus. I don't know how you would rearrange it, but I don't think you necessarily would kick a Vanderbilt out because they decide not to play. I don't think you kick out a Rutgers because you're like, you know what? We're not going to play the game like this. It's the bigger schools would say, hey, we're doing this. We're going to leave. It's a little bit of antitrust um, because like a trust lock 30K plus a scholarship being fair compensation. I don't practice fair trade law. I don't practice kind of law. I don't practice any law, but from talking to lawyers for the last couple of days, because I wanted to get a better sense of what's going on here. And I've talked to a couple of lawyers in that market of what's going on here. I mean, they're like, I mean, it's, it's a step, but it's still, it's still price fixing. You're still, you're still trying to fix the price and cap some stuff. So, you know, it's a step in the right direction. Will would it hold up in court if, and a couple of years later, players tried to, you know, push the cap higher. You know, probably not, but we'll see. I think they, I think they know Congress isn't bailing them out. I think, I think they have learned Congress is not bailing them out in terms of you know, being the old model of college sports where money is secret. Now with this, I still think money would still be secret because I think you could still your boosters instead of them being because I don't know if boosters would necessarily fit this bill. Schools have a lot of money from stuff that they just kind of sprint frivolously, and I think this kind of gets wrapped up in maybe Deacon Club and stuff. And so between Deacon Club, TV revenue rising, all these different things, there's that six million dollars can just be that's a that's a rounding error at this point. That's a complete rounding error to them. So. You start doing that and you're like, okay, like Congress isn't bailing you out. And so now you have to figure out a way to say, hey, how do we still be, you know, have some sort of control and still be an entity that oversees it, which I kind of like because I think there still needs to be some sort of entity overseeing, you know, college sports. I don't know whether it needs to be the NCAA, but there needs to be some entity that oversees stuff that I, I think, I think oversight is important. I think one of the bigger things besides, you know, the NCAA still wanting to prove that they, you know, are relevant and things of that nature is one thing people don't realize is the fact that it is elite, like it is illegal for for football to be played on, for professional football to be played on Saturdays. It is illegal. I, I think if you're an older person, you kind of like, you kind of remember that, but it is it is protected by Congress that the NFL cannot play on Fridays and Saturdays. Like it is it is like protected by Congress that they cannot do that. And so and I think it was back in I think 1961, I want to say. Um, but a lot of Congress passed. So I think that's why you saw the words like that like Congress needs to codify this, because if this thing sort of thing has to happen, it's trying you have to find a way that it can't be classified as professional football, quote unquote, podcasting as a visual media. It can't be seen as professional. Otherwise it will not be able to be allowed to be played on Saturdays or Fridays or whatever these TV contracts want to happen. That's why things are kind of like still and fluid with all these different stuff, because you can't just professionalize the game because it's quite literally illegal for you to play football on those days. And so 
you're trying to figure out how you bend the rules enough to say, hey, we can't like we're still college and guys are still getting an education, but we still pay them. So that way we're still relevant, but also, you know, this doesn't get bastardized. And then the NFL, because the NFL is just waiting for things to get fully professionalized, because if it becomes fully professionalized, the NFL is going to take over Fridays and Saturdays. Like they are going to sit here and do it. And I don't and I'm not going to say that's a bad thing because you know, not, not my monkey, not my circus, but that they're sitting there just waiting in the wings. I mean, you saw it this past, I think it was a couple weeks ago on, on Thanksgiving where, you know, they had, they figured out to play a game at 4 PM. And I think it was on Saturday because that was within the rules of like, Hey, like it was like on this holiday and we were playing it before a certain time. We can do that. Right. So the NFL has already been trying to find ways of getting around that law. If things become fully professional, then the NFL is just going to go free reign and just, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, NFL. You know, screw, your, screw your college, screw your high school football. NFL is going to take over your entire weekend. They'd do it. And it's not even being like hysterical. Like they, they would happily do it. More money for them. You know, you know the reason they added the 17th game? Money. You know why they would play on Fridays and Saturdays? Money. Money is the controller in all of this. So... Where Wake was standing, that is, I'm I'm intrigued because I know Clawson's been outspoken saying he wants players to get a cut of the pie. I think Wake would try to play ball. I, I honestly think they would try to play ball here. The question would be, you know, if the if the amount gets higher and higher of the cap, you know, what goes on there? You know, again, six million dollars. So, like, I, I wish people could see how often like these athletic departments just like blow millions of dollars just because they need to be like not in a profit like from talking to people back when I was a student that were in the athletic department, they're like, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're doing all these giveaways and all this stuff because we have so much money to blow that we need to blow. We need to get all this away. And that was before TV contracts really have started blowing up and the ACC network revenue is coming in, et cetera, et cetera. I think we could play ball for a little bit, but it's, this is a, it would be a defining moment of, Hey, these people need to like it'd be talking about hey, who who's in, who's out. And I think that's how this is gonna end up functioning. Is we're gonna I don't think it's gonna be TV networks saying we're gonna hand pick. I think it's going to be schools saying we're either in or we're out, and we're gonna go from there. Under an hour. Thank you guys so so much for listening to this. As always, I really do appreciate y'all. And as always, good eats.